0: You are listening to NFL Kickoff Live, an hour-long weekly show where Jarvis Davis and Kyle Krabs join me, Tanitra Batiste, to break down this week's action and biggest storylines around the NFL. You can catch us live each week from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern on your favorite Locked On NFL YouTube page. Welcome to NFL Kickoff Live. It's the best hour of football talk every single Friday. We will go around the NFL, talk about every team and every game, and we'll get local insight you can't get anywhere else but right here at Locked On. I'm your host, Tanitra Batiste. Alongside me are Jarvis Davis and Kyle Krabs. And all right, guys, although you know I prefer not to talk about this for obvious reasons, we'll go straight to Thursday Night Football. God. God. <sighs> Okay, all right. I've got myself together. I promise. I promise. But anyway, (laughs) I don't think my team has themselves together because the Steelers just absolutely crapped the bed, no pun intended, last night in losing to yet another two-win team, that of the New England Patriots. So now you're kind of looking at a situation where, great, the Patriots are off the schneid. They get a win. whoop doo. But ultimately speaking, it just feels like trouble in paradise, meaning Pittsburgh. But on the same token, it might make for some interesting or intriguing updates to the situation for the Patriots as far as where they might go in the draft. So with that said, the report is that the Bears might be looking to draft Caleb Williams, trade Justin Fields. And now that the Patriots have won that game, Kyle, that may actually impact where they go in the draft. But first things first, before we even talk about the draft, let's just talk about that ish show. That was that Thursday night football game, the 21 to 18 Patriots win over the Steelers.
1: I want to know what happened. We just got done throwing Pittsburgh or parade for getting 400 yards offense two weeks ago. And then you can lose it home to Arizona. Who's three and 10 and the Patriots who are three and 10 now as well. And I get it. Kenny Pickett's out for this game. Mitchell Trubisky looks like Chicago. Speaking of Chicago, Chicago Mitchell Trubisky, or at least the one down the stretch. Nothing going, no comprehensive reads. You could see the wide receivers are pulling their hair out through their helmets during the play yeah. because of just how incohesive this offensive effort was. And I mean, you give some credit from clawing back from 21 to three, but how does this defense get in a position to be down 21 to three with what New England's offensive attack has looked like the last couple weeks or months? So a, a disaster turn of events for Pittsburgh, who, you know, they're yeah. coming off the win against uh, Cincinnati. They won that game on the road and you said, okay, now here's, here's the point where we could really push clinch a winning season. And another one for Mike Tomlin, and now you're floating around 503, your last four games are on the road. Um, this might be the year it doesn't happen for Mike Tomlin. And I know there's, there's kind of some rumblings right now around, it would a mutually agreed upon change be best for all parties here at the end of the season, just because Pittsburgh's felt like they've kind of plateaued. And, uh This is as bad as it gets. Last night was a rough, rough watch if you were a neutral fan just watching that football game.
0: Yeah. And imagine if you're not a neutral fan how painful that watch was because, yeah, I almost tapped out and then the Steelers scored a touchdown and then I got excited all for naught. But a couple things there, you know, like you said, yeah, TJ Watt got banged. And that kind of affected him for a little while. Alex Highsmith had an injury as well, uh, I think, to the neck. So that was kind of a challenge, if you will. But hey, Devontae KZ and all you other people who were on that field, other than that one person, I know, Jarvis, you would love me if I hit that KZ. But, um, you know, there were guys who, they made plays, like Michael Walker did make a play, former Falcons, uh, Devontae KZ. But there were just too many moments where they didn't make plays or they didn't finish a play like it could have or should have been finished. And that was a part of the challenge that Minka Fitzpatrick called out across the defense and the entire team post-game. But like you said, also the offense, it was just painful because there was George Pickett Jarvis here, there, free. There was Deontay Johnson in position to take it to the house. You can't put the ball where it's supposed to be, and you can't make the decision in your reads. Your decision was to take off at the wrong time when the right guy was open, and that is a recipe for disaster. But I do want to piggyback on what KC says before we go into the draft talk, and that's this. I do think that this might be a situation where I know we've got four games left in the season, but Mike Tomlin and his regime may have Really hit hit the plateau, and I think this may be an Andy Reid situation where you just mutually agree to part ways. It doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that Tomlin's coaching career in the NFL is over. He'll have a job the next day, but it just may mean that the road in Pittsburgh for him has in all likelihood come to an end because maybe not so much of a rebuild, but this darn sure feels like a reset.
2: Yeah, it's definitely going to be a reset because I really feel like it's it's, it's time, and, and that's not an indictment against Mike Tomlin because, no. you know. Th- Things, yeah. you know, it's like it's like a marriage that you know the fire is just all gone and people just kind of really sticking around for the kids, you know. It's just like, all right, you know, I love you, babe. Oh, I love you too. Oh, you had you never had a losing season. Oh, okay, that's fine. You know, we're gonna bounce back and get into the playoffs, but we ain't got a chance to really win at all. Yeah, that's fine too. So I think this, you now you're starting to move into a situation where okay, let's let's figure this thing out because at the end of the day, I think we all can agree that Kenny Pickett is not the quarterback of the future. Right. So yeah. if yeah. there's a situation where you start losing games and you get into a position where you might be able to get one of those guys mm-hmm. so one of those quarterbacks, there's going to be a lot to choose from in that first round. Do you really yeah. want to try to, you know, use this same regime who just fired the offensive coordinator who probably shouldn't have been the offensive coordinator coming into the season? Cause a lot of people were calling right. for their heads. I know you were T. <laughs> so, so now it's like, all right, I don't want this regime picking my quarterback of the future because everybody understands what what the, what the situation is there. So I think if you mutually part way, and I think the, you're also correct, too, T, because Mike Tomlin, he will have a job. And I, th- I know we're going to talk about it later here, and I have a, the perfect spot for him, <laughs> you know, where, where he could take over. And I'm pretty sure there'll be Super Bowl contenders almost immediately uh, yeah. if they're, they're able to make that hire.
0: Indeed. And Kyle, that kind of segues into that talk about the draft, because I think Jarvis makes an excellent point. You know, one of the downsides of the winning records that Mike Tomlin has had, especially over the the decade and a half since the Steelers won the Super Bowl, is you're middling. So you keep landing middle to late first round, and that's how you look the rest of the rounds. And sometimes you hit and it, it goes well, but most of the time it doesn't. Because you're not getting the top of the first round, or even sometimes the top of the second round, that'll allow you to dip back into the first round. My point being that this is a draft class where, yeah, the Steelers have to look long and hard at themselves and say, hey, if we end up at 18 or 20 or 16, well, like we keep ending up, this is the draft where you may want to do what you did with Minka Fitzpatrick. Obviously, that was a trade situation where you threw in everything but the sink, and it paid off. This might be a situation where you throw in everything but the kitchen sink in a draft situation because these are some generational draft picks at QB that could change this franchise. So I think that's a decision that they have to make and the Patriots are still looking, despite what we saw at Zappi last night, they've got to make a decision as well.
1: Yeah, I think the decision is a lot easier for New England just because you expect them to be in that strike zone, right? When you look at Pittsburgh, and you already got seven wins. Like what, what's the floor for you in the draft? If you lose out, you're probably picking 13. That's where we're sitting right now. So from Pittsburgh's perspective, yeah, you you may transition away from, if you're going to do it, transition away from your head coach, identify what players are 30 plus second, third contract players that you can get more draft assets for. And I don't know about a reset. If you're going to do it, you might as well rebuild it and and go for it. Because I think that's the only way you put yourself in a position. I think this quarterback class is really interesting, too, because the transfer portal has already eaten up a lot of what you would have perceived to be the second tier of draft eligible quarterbacks. And they're staying in school. So you're going to have Drake May who goes early. You're going to have Caleb Williams who goes early. A lot of people like Jaden Daniels. He's a little bit of an untraditional build to the position, and a one-year sample size of really good play. So there will be some mm-hmm. questions there. Get sold on that? I'm not sure. What what is Bo Nix going to do? After his 18 years of playing college football at the quarterback position, I think he's like set the record for most starts at quarterback in FBS history. So, that's the longest term tenured college starting quarterback ever at FBS. Ever. But, uh, um, yes. yes. you know, from you Pittsburgh's perspective, I, I don't envy where you're at, A- and I think there is something too. It's really interesting these team life cycles where teams build themselves up and then there's kind of a natural transition. Really the only one that's done it successfully over an extended period of time without regressing all the way back to square one again, even if they keep the coach and the brain trust is new England with Tom Brady. So you look at Mike Tomlin and you know, he has eight career playoff wins and five of those more than half of them came in his first four seasons with the team. You even look over at Baltimore in the AFC North. uh, John Harbaugh has got half of his playoff wins came in his first five years Mm -hmm. and he's been there 15 years too. So these teams are, that are routinely like consistently in the hunt. If you don't go all the way back down, it makes it almost harder for you to gear back up and make a a deep run all over again, unless you hit the quarterback position. And they didn't do that with Kenny Pickett.
0: Indeed. And that's my biggest challenge with this team and feeling like that's that's why I keep saying middling, because, yeah, you've done well, but you've never you've not done well enough. And even that one time where you could have done well enough, I think it was uh, 2017, 2018, when you had Jacksonville on the ropes and you allowed them to come back and, and get you, that would have been one opportunity to win, win big and, you know, maybe get back to the Super Bowl. But obviously didn't happen. So, yeah, I think it's one of those challenges now here's the interesting part too because of course Jarvis we know we're talking about what the Steelers are looking at under center because that's kind of how you build out and we know what we're talking about with the Patriots and how they build out but an intriguing guy that of course we've been looking at for well over a decade because he's born and raised in the Atlanta metro area and you know that's Justin Fields and kind of how things play out for him how does he look In these last couple of games, does he look like a guy that Chicago says, "Okay, maybe we want to you know, keep him around? Probably not. But if not, you know, where does that guy go? Because with the Kenny Pickett, if you don't land here, you'll probably land, you know, in one more spot. You'll be a backup at them. And then maybe you get to show somebody that maybe you are viable um, as a potential starter. But Justin Fields, this is like a true dress rehearsal slash you know, show and prove what you can do because you're probably not going to stay with Chicago, but you also want to land somewhere where you're going to, where it's not going to just benefit Chicago, that they parted ways with you, but it's going to benefit you too.
2: Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, with Justin, like obviously the talent is there, right? Like it would he wouldn't have been drafted, taken in the first round if, if it wasn't. And I just feel like, you know, Chicago Bears is an organization that just hasn't been good with, housing a good quarterback right now now song yeah some reason, <laughs> right right so one of the reasons may be that, that he just isn't good or it just wasn't the right situation and i feel like a lot of people kind of discredit that the, the latter because like at the end of the day like you can have all the talent in the world but if the situation isn't right if the head coach isn't right if the guy that's working with him every day and the quarterback coach isn't right it's not going to work or the guy calling plays You know, we seen Luke Gessie. He just seems like, okay, I'm going to call plays according to what Justin Fields is is, is really good at. And then, okay, in in the first quarter. But then after that, I'm just going to try to make him a pocket passer. Like, you know, it's just not – like you're making yourself look bad when you do stuff like that as a play caller. You looking incapable because at the end of the day, you know, it's all about the, the pros and the Joes. But like the X's and the O's have to fit, too. So you have to make it fit. And I think that with Justin, I really feel that he can with a second chance at, at, at another spot with the right situation, with the right coach and, and the right uh, surrounding talent. I really feel like he can, he can get it done because I know a lot of people will look at, you know, Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and say, oh, yeah, that, that never works. But sam Darnold got a second round pick so if chicago wants to trade him they're going to be able to get some good some good uh conversation for him and i feel like justin in a different situation maybe even down here in atlanta because we know uh arthur smith is really good with reclamation progress kyle you know you, you're familiar ryan Tannehill? he made him look like a capable quarterback and i think that justin is a little bit more talented than than ryan Tannehill, in my in my humble opinion so i feel like The the, the situation is right for Justin uh, as he goes down. All he got to do is just continue to, you know, try to go out there and put some good tape out there.
0: Yeah, and and Kyle, I I look at the situation that's going on. Not that we didn't know that Tua Tunga Bailo was capable of what we've seen him do this season. But again, right circumstances, right staff around you, right players around you. And you can not only look like a good quarterback or a solid quarterback, but you'll really be able to show your greatness. And that's maybe what a Justin Fields is lacking. Still doesn't have the right talent around him. Definitely doesn't have the right coaching staff around him. And it just seems like he's in an organization that's just they can't figure it out. They, they just can't get right. And so if you can't get right as an organization, I don't think you're going to get this guy right either.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of hands in the, in the pot here, right, as yeah. far as running a football team, running an offense. And the 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 phrase that stands out to me was an interview that I did a few years back with Jordan Palmer, the quarterback uh, coach and, and private trainer. He said, mm-hmm. teams bust on players more than players bust on teams. Mm-hmm. And you look at this environment that Justin Fields was put into, and, yeah. Tanitra, you invoked Tua Tungvaloa and and what that was like with Brian Flores, who was a career assistant at New England. The only quarterback he ever knew was Tom Brady. The only offensive line coach he ever knew was Dante Scarnecchia. Those are like Mount Rushmore of their respective crafts at the NFL level type of players and coaches. And he comes to Miami and he's got four offensive line coaches in three years. He has four offensive coordinators in three years. Jim Caldwell was in and out after a singular cup of coffee before training camp even started. He said, no, thanks. I don't like where this is going. So he stepped aside Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: then Mike McDaniel comes in and it's a stylistic fit and they tailor what it is. And you've seen like peaks of it with Chicago, like down the stretch last year, after the first two Mm -hmm. months of the season. Mm -hmm. And then they came out this year and they said, everything we did No, we just traded it. We just traded, we got DJ Moore, So we're going to be this deep set drop back passing game all over again. And guess what? He's got a 12% sack rate because it's just not what is the strength of him as a player. So I I do think you have to continue to individualize what Justin Fields would have around him to be successful. I do happen to think Arthur Smith, that offense that is so run heavy, but you get extra hats in the box with Justin Fields and his threat as a runner versus Desmond Ritter or Taylor Heineke or anybody. Like, that's a whole different ballgame for that offense. And they've Mm -hmm. invested already in the skill group that would be around him. I think that'd be as, as, Mm -hmm. as exciting of a fit as you could craft for Justin Fields.
0: Indeed, in the game we're going to talk about with a couple of guys who put the right pieces around them, put the right coaching staff around them and they absolutely do it. That's Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott. We're of course going to talk about the showdown between the Eagles and Cowboys when we come back, but before we get there, here's a quick word from Jarvis about DoorDash.
2: Listen up, guys. Jarvis Davis here for DoorDash. This episode of the NFL Kickoff Live Show is brought to you by DoorDash. How about this, y'all? I'm sitting at the, um, I'm sitting at the house by myself. You know, my kids up there, sleep in the room. And then I just start feeling this rumbling sensation in my stomach. And I'm just like, oh, my God. My stomach's telling me that I need some wings. You know what I went to? I went to DoorDash. I'm telling you guys, it is the absolutely amazing. Amazing, amazing. And the code is Lock 23. What is that code going to give me, Jarvis? Lock 23 is going to get you 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app, drop that code in there, Lock 23, and you can satisfy that hunger in your stomach right now. I'm telling you, it was so amazing. I'm telling you, it is so easy and and it's so easy to use. And and when you think about, you know, when you're watching the games and, and you're trying to figure out, what, what, what you want to eat, DoorDash, is, is it simplifies it for you guys. All you got to do is just pull out your Lucky Charm jersey and order your favorite apps and snacks on DoorDash because football season is rolling right along. And if you haven't tried this out, I promise you, you need to do it. So here's what here's what's about to go down. I needs you to go to <clears throat> download the DoorDash app, and you're going to get 50% off up to $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order. When you download the app, enter the code, lock 23 that's cold lock 23 l-o-c-k-e-d 23 and go ahead and satisfy that hunger
0: Well, guys, it's another big showdown for the Eagles this weekend. This time it is with the Dallas Cowboys front and center game of the week. NFC East is on the line. Some would even say the MVP race is on the line between Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott just behind uh, Brock Purdy in the odds. It's a mood, it's a movie when it's Dallas and Philly playing. And our Locked On Cowboys host, Marcus Mosher, and our Locked On Eagles host, Gino Camilleri, are here to break this game down.
3: I do think this is a big Brandon Cooks game at home, in a dome, on a fast track against some older corners. I To me, he's the key to this game for the Cowboys. If he has a big game, I I don't see the Cowboys losing. But if the Eagles can hold him in check, I think we're going to get a really, really close one.
4: Tell our fans over at Lockdown Eagles how he has been getting that production, though. Has it come through the slot? Has it come through outside just winning those matchups based on pure speed for those who might have not seen him play over the last couple weeks? A lot of
3: long developing over routes where the Cowboys will use six and seven man protections and then just let him try to fly over the field, Mm -hmm. mostly in man to man coverage. What they're trying to do is find your slowest corner, get him matched up one on one, uh, get him free releases off the line of scrimmage. But I also mentioned he's been somebody who when the Cowboys get in the red zone, he's gotten more red zone targets than what CeeDee Lamb has gotten because he is so quick off the line of scrimmage and teams typically like to play a lot of zone. He just has a great feel of where to settle down in zones. To me, he's the X factor. I, I, I get If the Cowboys can't get him involved early, I won't be surprised if they struggle a little bit on
4: offense. So I think we both kind of have it. The, the same mantra on this one where we need our clay Thompson to kind of step up in yes. this game, right? You like, need the you, role guys to have big games. Yeah. You need your Brandon cooks. You need your Devonte Smith. You need your Jake Ferguson. You need your Dallas Goddard. And the exactly. last key to victory I'm going to say is can Deandre Swift and this offensive line, Find a way, whether it's you're leading late in this game, whether it's you're trying to get back to what your identity was of being a balanced offensive line, they've gotten no push. Can you find a way to create some of these explosives? Because like you said, Marcus, it's either A.J. Brown or nothing in terms of the explosives. And early on in the season, a lot of those came through DeAndre Swift being lightning in a bottle. They need to get back to that because it might come that once again, You're leading a game against the Dallas Cowboys, and you have to find a way to choke out the clock. And if not, Dak can lead them down the field and put them right in a position to score like we saw that last week. I think three and a half points is bang on. I think Vegas just knows way too much and way more than we ever will. And it's going to be a field goal game, in my opinion, because there's so much riding on it. And just as a neutral fan, like, you're welcome once again. These two teams are just what people want to see as much as you might hate them and talk bad about them and create your crappy narratives. You guys love watching the Cowboys, the Eagles, yeah. no matter what you say.
3: Plus the Cowboys are wearing their awesome, all white uniforms on
4: Sunday night. It's going to be absolutely. Ooh, cool. Those are going to be pretty yeah. on Sunday night football.
0: So guys, this particular matchup features A team where there's a one game division lead, of course, Eagles over the Cowboys, one of three division leaders with that slim margin. So we could go all over the place with that uh, narrative heading into the, the last five games of the season. But Kyle. This is also a situation where you've got two teams who have, like we said, MVP caliber quarterbacks, but also a lot of X-Factor. So I want to go back to something that Marcus was talking about in terms of who would be the X-Factor should the Cowboys win. And he's calling it Brandon Cooks. Is that your guy who could be the X-Factor or the game changer for these Cowboys to get this win?
1: Yeah, I certainly think coming into this season, you expected to get a certain caliber of production from Brandon cooks. And for the first month, month and a half of the season, he was MIA like nowhere to be found. And you're wondering, did Brandon cooks get washed this off season and we all didn't get the memo or what? And then lo and behold, they start finding ways to get him involved in the offense. And it's coincided with Dak Prescott and this emergence of this six consecutive games. I think it is with multiple touchdown passes, which is the longest stretch of his career. And and playing at a caliber that has put him right at the front of the MVP conversation as we go into December. So I certainly think that's an element for Dallas that if they have that component humming, even if it's only a couple shots throughout the course of the game, this feels like an explosive play's more explosive plays wins the game type of contest in my mind between these two teams. Cause they're capable of haymakers. You saw Philly really get bottled up by San Francisco at home last week. And San Francisco just hit a home run after home run after home run. And a lot of it came after the catch. So yeah. who's your guy that's going to have the speed and help create those chunks. If it's Brandon cooks, whether they're vertical routes, whether they're deep over routes and he's turning up the far sideline after he catches the ball. I do think that's a great place to point to for Dallas.
0: Yeah, not only yards after the catch, but really yards after contact as well, Jarvis, because, yeah, Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey were out there bulldozing folks. And uh, from a yak perspective, from yards after the catch, I was wondering if Darius Slay had gone back to Detroit and, you know, maybe we missed That flight that he'd taken because, yeah, he was absentee last week. But if you look on the flip side for the Cowboys, they're looking to break a streak because really in the East, you don't have back-to-back champions. You have to go back to the early 2000s where the Eagles won four in a row to see a back-to-back. That's how competitive this particular division has been. But the Eagles have swooned a little bit over these last couple of weeks, right? Even when they won, sometimes it, it felt like it was on the struggle bus. Granted against the Chiefs, and granted against the Bills before, you know, the slaughtering that was the 49ers game. But who's their X factor? I mean, one person that I think Gino may have mentioned was Devontae Smith, and but could be DeAndre Swift as well, depending on which direction you think would win this game for them. Who you feel like is their X factor in order for the Eagles to kind of get back right?
2: It has to be Jalen Hurts in my eyes, because here's the thing, because he looked weird last week, holding on to the football for so long. Obviously, you know you have one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. I get it, but get rid of the football, because if Jason Kelsey is turned around like, oh, okay, yeah, I got my man. And oh, oh, he still has the football. Oh, he hasn't taken off running. Like oh, you didn't try to go get yards instead of trying to sit, trying to find somebody downfield when it's just not there. So I think that you know he has to be a little bit more decisive to the football with the football. Help your offensive line out because I think that is something that that could be a catch twenty-two because you know a lot of times guys want to put you know everybody look at the sack numbers. Oh, he's been sacked x amount of times, and and and, and automatically you know, automatically blame the offensive line, but. There are times where the quarterback is holding on to the football too long or they're just not throwing it away when there's nothing there. And I think that we saw – I saw, you know, Jalen do that several times last week, and I, I think that also he, that he can be a big, bigger X factor with call runs, design run plays. I think that helps that offense out tremendously because once you start getting guys coming down, dropping eight men in the box, and you and start seeing that single high safety and then – for some strange reason, they try to maybe even single cover A.J. Brown on the outside. Those are those are things that I feel like Jalen can take advantage of. You make the reads a little bit more simpler. They're simplified when 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 a team start playing against the run. So I think Jalen, getting rid of the football, making sure that he's on point. And then if it's not there, just throw the football away. And I feel like some design runs will, will get the Eagles winning in this one.
0: But do you think maybe the Eagles have gone away from that because Loki? obviously, they wouldn't tell us the truth, but right. he's not quite his 100 percent self. And so the explosiveness that they could expect from him in those run design plays, maybe it's not there because he can't run like Jalen can run. And maybe that's a part of the reason he's holding the ball, because he's like, you know, he knows that he can't be his explosive self on the ground.
2: I think that could be a factor. But here's the thing. If you're out there. If you're putting him out there, if there's nothing on the injury report saying that, hey, he's dealing with XYZ or A, hey, he's questionable, I have to go off of what I see. Like, and yeah. that, and I see that you all need to, to call some design runs for you because you have the offensive line to do it. Go ahead and do it. And I think that, you know, turning around and heading the football with DeAndre Swift, that helps as well. And, you know, he can be a little inconsistent sometimes. And that's why he's not in Detroit anymore, any longer. But, those are some of the things that you're gonna to have to do. If you're putting them out there, I feel like, hey, I don't want to hear about it. Like, like, like my, like I got uh, Hugh Douglas up in, up in Philly. He's just like, hey, man, show me the baby. If you're out there, show me the baby. Show me the production. Get the win. Show prove to people that, hey, you deserve this 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 big boy salary that you got. All mm-hmm. those things come into play when you're going out there each and every day, and that and that injury report is clear. I don't want to hear it, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of the tough part. But you think about too. Kyle, and as good as Dallas has looked, as far as that offense is concerned, 41 to 35, and I'm not saying that the Seahawks Seahawks can't produce. I'm just saying that 41 to 35 against the Seahawks is 41 to 35 against the Seahawks. So it's one of those where could this possibly be a shootout where a team like the Eagles maybe arguably have a better defense than maybe the Seahawks have, then if it becomes a shootout, that could be a possibility for them to still get get a win here.
1: Yeah. I thought it was interesting but because you came into this game with Thursday night football with Dallas and Seattle last week. And the Seattle's a team, they want to run the ball, right? They don't have Kenneth Walker or they end up having Zach Charbonnet that steps into the primary role. Has 19 carries for 60 yards. If you told me Dallas held Zach Charbonnet to 19 carries for 60 yards, you'd feel really good about it. But it was it was the physicality of DK Metcalf. It was yes. his ability, like the, how involved he got early. So I'm looking over to AJ Brown, and I'm I'm if I'm Philadelphia, you got to have a certain element of that. But one thing that Seattle did try to do is they still tried to run the ball, even though the averages yeah. weren't there. And and to go back to what JD was talking about as far as DeAndre Swift and the Philadelphia Eagles, you go all the way back to week two. And do you remember how much Philadelphia struggled in the first half against Minnesota? And they had all these exotic looks on the front. And then about halfway through the second quarter, they said, oh, hey, you know what? You got two defensive linemen on the field. We're going to pound the rock. And DeAndre Swift gets 28 carries, 175 yards, Mm -hmm. takes like sole possession of the RB1 role in Philadelphia, and since then he's only had a handful of games where he's even had 20 touches. Yeah. Like he, this is a guy that's amongst the most productive. And, <laughs> right. And what, what, what game was it? Was it the Buffalo game or the Kansas city game that like, he didn't even touch the ball in the first half at all. And you're like, what is going on? This is like the, the second best rusher from a statistical standpoint in the NFC. Mm-hmm. And he didn't touch the ball. And then lo and behold, he starts touching the ball. You're ripping off six, seven, eight yard, nine, nine yard runs. And Philadelphia found its rhythm again offensively. So you got to find a way to distribute the ball all around. But I think balance for Philadelphia against Dallas defense will help yeah. give them the opportunities to have those one-on-ones for that big physical guy like A.J. Brown to do what D.K. Metcalf was able to do to him last week.
0: Indeed. And, Casey, if you had to make a prediction, a bold prediction, who walks away with this win? Does, do the Eagles put some distance between themselves and the Cowboys in the NFC East? Or is this a Cowboys game where they're now going to get in position to possibly control their own destiny?
1: I want to pick Dallas. I want to pick Dallas. Dak is 30 and eight against the (laughs) NFC. That is rare, Kyle. Not a lot of
0: people ever like to do anything in favor of Dallas, but okay.
1: (laughs) But I see, I cannot help but think that the worst thing Dallas could have drawn was Philadelphia getting their butts kicked. And I think Philadelphia after the game that they played last week, with an opportunity to retain control and effectively smother the NFC East, I think Philly finds a way. And I'm picking Philly in a
2: close game to get it done. J.D., who you got? Oh, so, my dad is a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan. Please don't ask me how. He'd grown up in Atlanta all his life and all that stuff. but And he, we had a conversation. He was just like, he's like, "Jobs, We're going to get the win this week. I'm like, man, I don't know, man. But I was like... And, and and then when you – but when you think about it and kind of really dig into it, like, I think that Brandon Cooks piece, what Marcus brought up, was absolutely amazing. During that four-game winning streak, 20 catches, 300 yards, and three touchdowns, almost double the production of that first month and a half of the season <laughs> as a Cowboy. So I think finding some another weapon that Dak uh, that can, can, can depend on outside of C.D. Lamb, I, I, I think that <laughs> – that's the that's the that's the that's the formula. That's the that's the juice. That's that recipe everybody look forward to eating on on Thanksgiving. Like, okay, we're coming over to to the Cowboys' house because hey, they found the right recipe. Their offense is cooking, and I think that Dak is making a, uh, a MVP candidacy. So I, I'm picking the Cowboys. T. I'm going. I'm, I'm picking them. I'm picking them, and you know, I might be wrong more than like I'll be wrong because it's the Cowboys. But I'm, I'm rolling with the Cowboys. I can't I can't deny what I'm seeing right now.
0: Exactly, because Cowboys are going to Cowboy. But the Eagles, I think as long as that secondary shows up a bit better than they did last week and they do everything that KC just prescribed, I pick them for the win. Speaking of picks, we're going to tell you and sell you why on the other side. But before we do that, Jarvis is here to sell you on Price Picks.
2: Jarvis Davis here for Prize Picks. This episode of NFL Kickoff Live Show is brought to you by Prize Picks. It is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. That's a pretty big deal, folks. We are the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's you against the numbers, not the pros and not all of these algorithms and all this stuff craziness, right? All you got to do is just pick more or less than on a two to six player stat projection and watch the winnings roll right in. Also, not only with the NFL season rolling, it's kicking off. Basketball season, guys, is right here. And now you can pick combo projections across football and basketball from the specials league, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James on the plus, Travis Travis Kelsey had a a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. That's not that hard, folks. It's not as hard as I made it look. Sound right, then. But it's easy, guys. All you got to do is go to prizepicks.com right now because that is the best place to go to. All right. Here's the website. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL, prizepicks.com slash NFL and use code NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. And, folks, PrizePicks is daily fantasy sports made easy.
0: All right, so the Seattle Seahawks are hitting the road to take on the San Francisco 49ers. The Seahawks are 10.5-point underdogs in that game. Of course, the 49ers won the last game 31-13 to just two and a half weeks ago, and we know that they have steadily gotten better. So this will be interesting to see how it goes. But first, Corbin Smith is going to tell us to sell – he's going to sell us, rather, on why the Seahawks can cover
5: as underdogs. Looking for their first win against the 49ers since 2021, the Seahawks will head to Levi Stadium for a must-win rematch against their division rivals on Sunday afternoon. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. The Seahawks will enter Sunday's rematch against the 49ers as 10.5-point underdogs, and honestly, that feels a little bit low considering how much San Francisco has dominated this series over the last two seasons None of their previous four encounters since the start of the 2022 season have been decided by under 15 points, with the 49ers winning all four of those matchups, including a 31-13 victory at Lumen Field just two weeks ago. For the Seahawks to have any chance to cover that spread or potentially pull an upset on the road at Levi Stadium, the offense is going to have to build off a solid outing in Dallas where they scored 35 points and put up five touchdowns. The offense has only three offensive touchdowns in their last four games against the 49ers combined. The run game is going to have to be solid. They're going to have to have a play-action game working off of that to take advantage of their receiving talent. As for the defensive side of the football, missed tackles have been a major problem against the 49ers, including a bunch of missed tackles against Christian McCaffrey a few weeks ago. They have to get him to the ground, and they have to limit explosives. They gave up seven explosive pass and run plays in the first half alone in week 12, if they're able to cut that number in half and potentially create a turnover or two, the Seahawks can give themselves a chance in a game that few expect them to be competitive in this upcoming weekend.
0: All right, guy, Corbin pulled absolutely no punches. All right, Jarvis, I'm going to ask if you can maybe wrap your arms around a little tink-tink and give me a path to winning for the Seahawks.
2: Uh, sorry, little Tintin, uh, it's time to go home you know, take your little ball to go home because the Seahawks just, you know, they are on three game losing streak, you know, they lost to the Cowboys, you know, they pushed them to the brink. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think just, you know, with Kenny Walker being out, you know, Kyle, I really feel like Charbonnet is, is a drop-off. It- it's-, it's a pretty decent drop-off when you talk about, you know, the type of running backs that, that, that they bring to the table. And I, I just the way the San Francisco 49ers have been playing, they just seem different. I know they've been, you know, going to NFC championships and, and just being a, that type of team, but ever since um, Purdy came back and, and that man, um, uh, that, that man that plays left tackle, number 71, uh, Trent Williams, uh, uh yeah, this team is different. <laughs> and Debo, and Debo, Sammy, those guys, when you have those guys coming back into the fold. This is a different team. Those guys are playmakers. And you just see how Kyle calls plays just like I know you know who's going to get the rock. And there's nothing you can do about it. So, yeah, I feel like Seattle is about to get ready to go into a buzzsaw. 49ers are riding high because we know all of the hoopla and drama that was that went into that game against the Philadelphia Eagles and how they were able to you know talk that talk and walk that walk. Yeah, this is... I feel for the Seattle Seahawks right now because this is this is not a good matchup for them given the circumstances.
0: Well, Kyle, I'll let you come back with that one because I mean, he there, no lies told right there, no lies told.
1: Yeah, so for Seattle to to win this football game or or keep it within less than a touchdown and field goal and cover eight and a half points, uh, I really think they have to force multiple turnovers and then you score thirty five points. Okay, the, the obvious. Talking points to acknowledge, but the hardship about doing that, and give them credit, they just scored a bunch of points, 35 points against the Dallas Cowboys last wow. week. They get a little extra rest coming into the game. JD talked about Trent Williams, Debo Samuel, that stretch of injuries. Here's the points scored for San Francisco in the three games that they had without those guys: 17, 17, and 17. Okay. I'm not a math guy, but I could say that's 17 points a game. The points in the other games that they've played with those guys on the field. 30, 30, 30, 35, 42, 34, 27. Shout out Tampa Bay. Held them under 30. 31 and 42. They are rolling up the points. And oh, by the way, outside of that three-game stretch where they had seven turnovers without Trent Williams and Debo Samuel, they have three turnovers this season offensively. San Francisco has three turnovers in the games that they play with Trent Williams and Debo Samuel on the field. It's December. They have one turnover in the month of November. So, like... (laughs) Seattle is just going to have to get this totally uncharacteristic performance that San Francisco has not done with their guys all season long. And if they can do that, hey, there's, there's your selling point to cover eight and a half points.
0: Yeah, and my mind went to the only way it would possibly happen, and sometimes you are so on mission to prove yourself. I think the 49ers are so on mission to prove that they belonged in the Super Bowl last season versus the Eagles that maybe an emotional letdown may allow the Seahawks to sneak in and and get this game, but other than that, yeah, it's going to be a tall order to even cover the spread. Now, in a battle between top-tier quarterbacks, the Kansas City Chiefs host the Buffalo Bills on Sunday afternoon. The Chiefs are one-and-a-half-point favorites in that game. And here's Ryan Tracy from Locked on Chiefs to tell you why the Chiefs can cover that spread.
6: The key for the Kansas City Chiefs to cover the spread and get a win against the Buffalo Bills is straightforward. Keep it simple, silly. Don't get overly complex. Don't go outside your wheelhouse. Stick to what works. I'm Ryan Tracy from Locked on Chiefs, and that's where we are this week. For the Kansas City Chiefs, it starts with the run game. Isaiah Pacheco has been missing in action at practice, but could be available for the ball game itself. His backups, Jared McKinnon and Clyde Edwards will be ready to go. And they've been much more successful at running the power run block scheme lately that they'll be able to double down on and attack the Bills on the ground. That sets up the pass game, which has been a struggle. It comes down to this. In order to move the ball, you have to feed Travis Kelsey first and foremost. The plan will be to take him away, so where do you go after that? Rasheed Rice is the emerging talent that will be the number one wide receiver, and you have to feed him. It is a dual prong passing attack that everything else branches off of, including Kadarius, Tony, Sky Moore, and possibly Richie James, who can maybe give a little bit of a lift in this particular ballgame. All that goes down to protecting Patrick, giving him time in the pocket, not making him wait till late in downs to try to make something happen. On the opposite side of the ball, it's about containing Josh Allen as you do, a contain rush. You're not going to get the super exotic blitzes. You don't want to flush him unnecessarily. He went for nine for 81 last week on the ground. You don't want to trigger that. But the trio of pass catchers is going to be a great matchup. LeJarrius Needs should travel with Stefan Diggs all over the place. That will leave Gabe Davis outside against a couple of young corners, as well as Khalil Shakir, who's been hot on and off of late against Trent McDuffie. I feel great about that matchup, and I think Shakir isn't going to be someone who's going to be able to break this game open with McDuffie all over him. So it will come down to Gabe Davis, and more importantly, Dalton Kincaid and how he attacks the linebacker level that might be without Drew Tranquil, might be without Nick Bolton. It's down the middle in this game for the Buffalo Bills. It is Dalton Kincaid against those linebackers, Khalil Shakir against those safeties once he breaks loose, as the safeties will be with Mike Edwards rather than Brian Cook, who's out with injury as well. And that's how the Chiefs can get it done this week against the Buffalo Bills.
0: And when you think about that game and who could or may not have an impact on the game unfortunately, we just got word that Isaiah Pacheco is of course out for this Sunday's matchup and that's a critical component because yes, it's great to get Clyde Edwards-Helaire back, but on the same token it's always been kind of a one, two, if not one, two, three punch when it comes to the run game for the Kansas City Chiefs. So, I mean, Jarvis, how do you think it's going to impact them not to have Pacheco out there this Sunday?
2: Oh, it's going to be it's going to be a tremendous in my in my eyes. I mean, I, let, me say, let me start off by saying this. They're going to count on Jordan to get the job done. No, uh, Patrick Mahomes. He's Michael Jordan in football right now. That's kind of where I I know we've been throwing that term around a lot around lately. Um, T, you know, when when it comes to the Atlanta Falcons and and and, and Jesse Bates, but when, when you think about their the what this offense looks like, the the toughness and and the offensive line, the investment in the offensive line, and Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor bringing those guys in you know that they want to have some sort of identity and balance to this offense and not have to always depend on Patrick Mahomes. But when you take a guy like um, Isaiah Pacheco out of that equation, like, because this dude just runs so hard. It seems like he just fighting for every single yard. And then what comes with that though, is still dealing with the injuries and dealing with certain things and little knickknacks from time to time, and this offense just looked different without him in that in that equation. So I think that you're going to have to essentially lean on your MVP quarterback to be able to slay the ball around the yard, and you hope and pray that those wide receivers they step up and they make those necessary plays because Pat is going to find those guys, and they just have to they have to be able to catch the football and, and make a play with it.
0: Yeah, and although it was, of course, a loss for the Chiefs against the Packers earlier this week, you got 18 carries and 110 yards from Pacheco, 6.1 averages, uh, yards per carry, and across the entire season, 4.4. So just showing that consistency of what he brings to the table or will not be able to bring to the table uh, this weekend. But, Casey, when you look at this matchup with the Chiefs being one-and-a-half-point favorites in that game, uh, so tell me, do you believe that the Chiefs can cover that spread? And if so, how do they cover the spread?
1: I absolutely think they can. Uh, I think the challenge for for Kansas City is Buffalo is is fighting for their playoff lives here at, at five hundred at six and six, and yeah. they put a really good effort forward offensively against Philadelphia. The overtime game, Jalen Hurts, uh, brought them back and, and pushed them to six and six, and. Just about everything since the bye has been a nightmare for Buffalo. And it would be really interesting to see how they respond to uh, the story that came out about Sean McDermott this week and Von Miller and his off-the-field issues that that manifested during the bye week as well with some really ugly allegations there. And we need more clarity there as well. But uh, for Kansas City's perspective, we're talking running backs. We're talking wide receivers. Can we throw Travis Kelsey the damn football? What are we doing here? What? I'm watching this Bay game and you're not, you scored 19 points. Travis Kelsey, I think had all those receptions in the first half of the game. It felt like you're sitting here, these possessions down the stretch. You're like, all right, they got to get something going. Let's move Travis Kelsey around a little bit and get him the football. Yeah. He, he caught four passes and you're looking at Kansas city's last month offensively and all these stretches of games where they're not scoring any points in the second half of these games, go back to Denver. No, he, he had 6.4 yards per target. He had nine targets for six catches, 9.7 yards per catch. Miami caught three passes for 14 yards. Philadelphia, they scored 17 points. He caught seven for 44. He got a touchdown, but it was four and a half, or 4.9 yards per target. Yeah. And then he has the, the, the big boom against Green Bay early in that game. And then they're trying to come back and win this football game. And we're just static with Travis Kelsey. We're not moving him around. And I get he's going to command a lot of attention. But you're coming into this game. Buffalo doesn't have Matt Milano and Micah Hyde and Jordan Porter look a step slower than what they've been in the past, get Travis Kelsey involved in the middle of the field, move him around, get him the Mm -hmm. football. And if you do that, I think you do win the football game, but they just really haven't been doing it the last month for Travis Kelsey.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the points that you make as well is in addition to, you know, the chiefs needing to get back to their identity, at least they kind of have an understanding of their identity, regardless of what we kind of saw In that Packers game earlier this week, but I think you make a great point too, KC, about the Bills need to take care of Bills things because they do have issues like the uh, off-field issues that came about or came to light earlier this week with Von Miller. We're just now getting notification as well from multiple sources that Shaq Lawson was fined an undisclosed amount for his interaction with a fan in the game against the Eagles. And so right. it's it been, the issue has been resolved, but Casey, when you start hearing things like that, it makes you think to yourself, but has the issue really be been resolved with a team that's middling? And then you get the information about Sean McDermott that comes out, where he has comments that he made about the September 11 terrorist attacks during a team meeting in 2019. And of course he goes on to say that he regretted those comments, but ultimately speaking, that's all that the conversation has been about as it relates to chiefs bills. It hasn't been more about what's going on on the field as off the field. And it starts right at the top with Sean McDermott.
1: It's, it's, it's tough. And as a team that's fighting for expectations, you can, you can tell how frustrated that football team is when you look back on the interaction with the Buffalo bills, defensive lineman in Philadelphia, in that contest and how they're, they're chirping with the fans And I think there's a lot of things that Buffalo has that they can point to to feel like they can win any game that they step on the field with. But so many of their wounds this season have been self-inflicted, whether it was the four turnovers in the season opener against the Jets or 12 men on the field for the missed field goal against the Broncos that cost you another football game. Like you just have perpetually shot yourself in the foot 20 seconds, not going to, to get points on the field when you had a timeout in 20 seconds with Josh Allen at the end of that game against the Eagles. So yeah. all of those things now compounding, you see the frustration that's being acted out on the on the sideline, and now you have distractions coming into this game. It's a really unenviable place, and it's going to go one of two ways. Buffalo's going to come out, and they're going to be as channeled as they've ever been, and they'll put a good effort forward, and they'll find a way to win this football game, or they're going to get waxed. And I don't think there's a lot of room in the middle.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree as well, Jarvis, because you think about those kinds of very um, – Those comments that can really, really kind of separate and divide, especially if it's one of those things where maybe you kind of put it to bed four years ago, but maybe you kind of didn't because it could have played in the back of individuals' minds. Now you bring that to the surface where basically uh, McDermott's making a comparison contrast. Uh, that he's encouraging athletes on how they viewed the Al-Qaeda militants to say that the way that they crashed the passenger jets into the Tumen t- Towers of the World Trade Center, it's like being team players. That's something to where you can apologize. But if someone felt some type of way when they first heard that and that brings up feelings again, you never know where that can take a locker room.
2: Absolutely. And, and I think I know where it could take it. It's lost. He's lost his locker room because when things like this get out, when you have players griping at each other on the sidelines and don't really care about what it looks like, because, you know, a lot of times we, locker rooms, you know, being in the locker room, like there are so many different personalities, right? Like a lot of people from different backgrounds, people who probably wouldn't even be in the same room with that person. If they weren't playing football, like football does, it puts a lot of different types of people in, in, in the same Place And I think that there's a certain, you know, uh, sacredness that goes with it that, you know, whatever goes on within that, you don't let it get out. And he said when stuff like this starts to come out, when 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 uh, whatever sources, you know, said that he said X, Y, Z and he has to explain himself, that lets you know that he is he knows that he's he's losing this locker room. And then when things like this start to happen, that means he's lost it. And, and I think that you know when you have the all the off the field stuff going on. I talked about when we first started this show, organizations that that you hear more about off the field stuff that, than on the field stuff. That's not a good sign. That means they're a bad organization. And the Buffalo Bills ownership, they don't want to be looked at as that. They they feel like they're Super Bowl contenders. They have a, a Super Bowl um, um, capable of winning quarterback in, in Josh Allen. So. I think right now Sean McDermott Sean McDermott excuse me, needs to start counting his chickens because this may signal the end for him for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah, this is definitely a fork in a row in the road for that franchise, but more importantly, probably that regime. Now it is almost time for our fantasy football focus, which also means it's time for Jarvis to tell you guys about Doordash.
2: Jarvis Davis here for DoorDash. I need you people to get prepared before game day. Stock up on your favorite appetizers and order all your tailgate gear on DoorDash. Then get ready to watch your team win. I just start talking about the bills. I don't know if y'all are gonna win, but... uh. But yeah, you know you can watch a team and have and have a good time regardless of the result, and get you some some good food. I'm talking about all of your favorite restaurants and stores from retail to grocery are on the app, so you can shop everything you need to get game day ready. I know me, I might try to fire up my grill on Sunday because I want to watch the Falcons and see what's going on. You know what? I want to give me some wings. I want to fry them bad boys up. So you know I'm gonna go go on a DoorDash. You know find my little local little na- neighborhood grocery store. And order me some flour, give me some seasonings, get some oil. I need some good oil so I can fry, fry those wings up. And then, and guess what? I haven't even left my house. So, here's what I want you to do I want you to do the same. That's a fit. All you got to do is go to DoorDash and you're going to get 50% off up to a $10 value on your first order when you spend $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCK23. That's code LOCK23, L O C K E D 23. Subject to change. Term supply.
0: So your fantasy team might have been personally traumatized by all of these QB injuries of late, but our Michelle Majuk might just have an answer for you. And here's our Locked On Fantasy host to give you all the info you need for this week and beyond.
7: Are you a victim to your fantasy quarterback going down with an injury and need a quarterback to play in week 14 or even for the rest of the season? I got you. You're three quarterbacks that you should consider picking up and playing, at least for this week. So first up being Vikings quarterback Joshua Dobbs. I know it was brutal before their bye week, right? He threw four interceptions in week 12, and then the Vikings had their bye week, but. Don't forget, weeks eight through 11, he was killing it for fantasy. He was averaging over 22 fantasy points per game. He was a quarterback six in fantasy during that span. And now he gets the Raiders, Bengals, and Lions over the next three weeks. All really solid matchups for him. So I think Joshua Dobbs is a guy you can pick up play this week. And also just count on for this whole long run of stretch here for the rest of your fantasy season. Another quarterback to consider is Jake Browning of the Bengals, i know we've only really got to see him in one full game but it was amazing right he put up nearly 27 fantasy points in week 13. fourth most on the week by any quarterback this last week And he just has so many great weapons to rely on. Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. And he was smart. He just threw it up to Jamar Chase over and over and over again. And he got him a lot of passing yards and a lot of fantasy points. And over the next three weeks, he gets the Colts, Vikings, and Steelers. I am fine with all three of those matchups for my fantasy quarterbacks, but especially like him this week against the Colts. And then talking about the Colts, Garner Minshew is a guy you can consider picking up and playing, especially for this week and maybe even next week. So last week he had over 300 passing yards and two passing touchdowns. No team is allowing more passing yards per attempt than the Bengals. And then if he does well this week and you want to continue playing him, he gets the Steelers the next week. And we just saw the Steelers let Bailey Zappi throw all over them on Thursday night football. So Garner Minshew Jake Browning and Joshua Dobbs are all options for you this week if you're in a bind at the quarterback position.
0: Wow, that must be some kind of bind if you are going to go with Jobs, Dobbs, rather Minshew and Browning, Casey.
2: Who is your
0: fantasy? A lot of jobs out right? there, T. Right,
2: quarterback <laughs> position. <laughs> A lot of jobs. I understand.
0: Right. So I'm like, okay, this goes back to what Jarvis said earlier. Casey, are we looking for pros or joes to add to our fantasy football team?
1: Yeah. Well. I- Out of the ones that that Michelle gave, uh, the one I don't want to touch is Josh Dobbs. I've seen Cinderella when I was a kid, and I know when the clock strikes midnight, that carriage turns into a pumpkin, right? And that performance was so bad against Chicago. Like, did not know what way was up. And they were considering benching him during the bye week. It came out and said that he was going to retain his starting job. Thanks, no thanks for me on Josh Dobbs. I think Jake Browning's the one to go with just from Take the yeah. one with the weapons in the passing game. Indianapolis, yeah, you know, Darner Minshew's done a nice job. He's able to move around and get off his spot. But at the end of the day, that's a team that wants to run the football. He's all what it looked like with Zach Moss before Jonathan Taylor came back, and then Jonathan Taylor came back. And that's kind of the identity of that football team. The identity of this Cincinnati offense, even though Chase Brown has given a little bit of extra life into the run game, they're built to throw the ball. So take the guy who's built to throw the ball, who's thrown to elite targets. That would be my choice would be Jake Brown.
0: Yeah, because I almost got, like, feeling some type of way, Jarvis, a little triggered with Josh Dobbs, like, dang, like, we let him go. And then I was reminded, oh, yeah, we let him go. So as, as the Steelers, but <laughs> but yeah, I think you make a great point, KC. I mean, Jarvis, if you have Jamar Chase, for one, that you can just toss the ball all around the, the football field to, you might want to go with that guy, if for no, no other reason, he's going to be the guy who covers all the ills that might happen and make Browning look even better.
2: You know what? To be honest with you, like we even got a little, a little glimpse into this, like like once the Cincinnati offense start got got rolling, because we know Joe was was dealing with you know uh, with his injuries earlier mm-hmm. in the season, then yeah. they just start saying, hey, you know what? We just gonna get the ball out of his hands. We just we're gonna throw these quick screens. We're gonna dump it off to Joe Mixon. And guess what? You could do the exact same thing with Drake, Jake Browning because that stuff is simple. You know, it, it's it's simple and, and, and it it caters to the Ability of your quarterback now you can throw the football down the field, true enough, when, when the opportunity presents itself. But like the game plan going from here on out, have to be hey, get the ball in, in your playmaker's hands, whether that be turned around and handing it off 25 times or 25 or 30 times with your, your, your running back combo, or you getting the ball to Tyler Boyd, you getting the ball to T Higgins, who's back, and then Jamar Chase, who won the best wide receiver in the NFL. So, all of those things. It's, it's just set up. For, it's set up perfectly for Jake Browning going forward, and the Bengals should be able to take advantage.
0: Hey, Casey, as we wrap up here, real quick, what's that one game you have your eye on this weekend?
2: Uh, I think I'm looking
1: at Indianapolis and Cincinnati as far as that AFC wild card race. When you consider yeah. you've got the five seed is seven and five, and the eleven seed in the conference is six and six. You yeah. got a ton of teams that are just smashed together. Five, Half seven, of them are going to miss the playoffs. And yep. that's a head-to-head yep. matchup at one o'clock that's gonna have a lot online for the AFC
0: conference. Indeed. How about you, Jarvis? Real quick, what's your game to watch?
2: It's gotta be Falcons Buccaneers. This is the game that the playoff game within the playoff game. And this is for the title of hey, we're the best team in the worst conference in the NFL. <laughs> Let's see what there we're is,
0: <laughs> on that note. A lot of cool matchups that are gonna be some decision-making. Games for how these playoffs play out both in the AFC and the NFC. Thanks again, guys, as always, for stopping by. NFL kicked off live. It is the best NFL talk you can get anywhere for Jarvis Davis, Kyle Krabs. I'm Tanitra Batiste. We will see you next week.